Welcome to the Preserving Family Podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to equip you to gain insight, information, and inspiration to help you protect, teach, and guide your family during these turbulent times. Our goal is to provide tools and resources to help you strengthen and preserve your own marriages and families. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Mark and Janie Ogletree. Well, everyone, I am so grateful, so glad to be here today, Friday afternoon, fall, Provo, Provo, Utah. Ross, how does it look out the window? Looks beautiful. Fall colors are changing. It's absolutely gorgeous. So for, for a guy from Texas and a guy from California, this is kind of cool to see out of our windows, right? It is cool to see, although I've been in southeastern Idaho for 18 years. <laughs> so you're used to this. I am. <laughs> this is great. So, Ross, you, like me, joined the church when you were 18 years old, and then uh, probably a year or so later, I'm guessing, you went right on your mission to, to Argentina, served in a couple missions there because the mission divided. Um, then you come home. When you come home for your, from your mission, where do you go to school? In so other I, words, where do you meet Kathleen? So I got back in March of 1981. Yes. And they called me to teach the CTR 878 class, uh, young people getting ready to be baptized. Right. So I never went to primary uh, growing up, obviously. I joined the church when I was 18. So what happened was Kathleen was also teaching primary. She was <laughs> teaching CTR 5. So we flirted during sharing time. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So I like to say that I met my wife in primary, which is a little creepy, but it's different than it sounds. <laughs> but it's sounds. actually really cool. And where was that primary? Santa Monica, California. Okay, so you're in California. Santa Monica. And so what happened was I got back and I had a dream to come to BYU. So I applied and entered fall semester 1981. Wow. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. That was the year I was in high school, just to give you some, my, my, my senior year of high school. So that gives us a little context for me. So you date Kathleen for a while, get engaged, fall in love, well, fall in love, get engaged, and then you get married in the Los Angeles Temple. And today, five children, and you guys were no, more no, no, symmetrical. No, no. no nine. Nine, sorry, nine, nine children. But I was going to say, you're very symmetrical, five, five boys and four girls. That's pretty incredible. We have one son and, and uh, seven daughters. We we did we were not balanced no, at all. You no. guys were pretty balanced. I I always admire that. Uh, Eighteen grandchildren is that still that's correct? Because correct. with families like ours that are large, yeah. it's like the McDonald sign, right? That's always changing every every few months or whatever. So awesome! A, a bachelor's in finance from BYU, a master's and PhD uh, from USC in religion and social ethics. What was that like, Ross, being at USC as an LDS? scholar. It was actually a phenomenal experience. And the people at the University of Southern California, super supportive. It wasn't that I didn't get pushback or I didn't get some antagonism. But overall, it was an amazing experience that that honed um, me. I'll tell you one interesting uh, experience. I was back in my ward and somebody was saying, you know, is it is it hard on your faith? that you're kind of in this degree with these secular people at the University of Southern California. And I said, on the contrary, it actually, every time I leave, I walk back to my car, sometimes I have chills, um, because I get to talk about the restoration. I get to talk about the truths of the gospel, that how they integrate with what we were learning. And so as opposed to kind of having my faith be diminished, it actually strengthened it. Yeah. Wow, I love that. I love that. And that was my experience, too, being in graduate school in different parts of the country and really having people respect us, right, for what we believe. And so a career in the business world for a short time. How, how long were you kind of in that entrepreneurial 1984, life? I graduated BYU. And then I came full time into SNI in 1993. So about nine years. Okay. Uh, I was involved in uh, private equity. Yeah. And uh, that's what I did. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And then uh, I'm sure there was a series of miraculous events to go from private equity to the institute director at, at uh, the well, at Glendora and Claremont Institutes for the Church. Correct. Yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah, I was teaching. Did someone approach you? Yeah. Tell so me. I was teaching as a volunteer. Um, I was actually in a bishopric, and uh, in the bishopric, there was a woman who was teaching early morning seminary, and she got pregnant, and she was ex- ill. Like really ill in right. her pregnancy, and so in bishopric meeting we were deciding on well we we've got a releaser who will do it, and I I raised my hand. In fact, the other council raised his hand, 
And the bishop, Bishop Winder, said, well, Ross, you know, will you be willing to do that? Yeah, I'll do that. And anyway, I taught before early morning seminary in a different ward and so taught it and just phenomenal experience, incredible. 33 15-year-olds at 6 a.m., uh, it was amazing. Wow. It was incredible. And so the, the – the SNI coordinator who came and viewed my class said, hey, you should do this. Yes. And I thought, ooh, I'll tell you, I don't know if I can take that financial <laughs> hit. But through, like you said, a series of kind of impressions and guidance, and our bishop was somebody who I tremendously re- re- respected. His name was Kevin Hamilton. He's a general authority now. Right. And Elder Hamilton um, said to me, he said, Ross, this is why you're on, you're on earth. Wow. And when he said that, uh, honestly, I that was it. So Kathleen, you knew it. We, you knew it I right did, and we spot. prayed. But you know, it's super hard to get hired. So it's yes. like I threw my hat in the ring, and they were like, you know, the odds are you're not going to get hired. But I did, and then I thought I was going to be like release time seminary in Blanding, Utah. <laughs> and it ended up, he called me. It was Jack Marshall. I don't know if you know yeah, Jack. no Jack, you bet. Jack Marshall called me in April of uh, 1993 and said, yeah, um, you're going to get hired, and you're going to be the institute director at the Glendore Institute. You're going to teach there, and I was like, I don't even know what an institute director is. Right. So yeah, that was that was the beginning of that. So so many miracles, and then mm-hmm. would you say also miraculous of how you transitioned from there to go to BYU Idaho for a 18 year career? Yeah. So another amazing thing we were at, we loved uh, our experience at Glendora and Claremont like loved 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 and I would have spent my whole career there been thrilled yeah um, but we got a generic email for, you know they send out a generic email no one recruited me right uh, a generic email that said uh, there was an opening in the religion department I always usually deleted those for whatever reason and you know we all know what was going on I printed it put it in my briefcase got home and kind of just gave it to my wife. And she looked at it and she goes, you should apply. Oh, wow. And I was like, what? What? Are you kidding me? So what happened was um, I didn't know anybody there. Right. Like I didn't have any like connections. No connections. And this was back in the day, like literally I am putting like paper in an envelope. This wasn't via the internet. Right. It was, you know, like just before that. So I'm like, you know, putting an envelope <laughs> in the mail. And I remember, I think the deadline was somehow in December and I didn't hear anything. I thought, oh, okay, whatever. Okay. Life's great. I tried it, yeah. And then they called and said, you're one of the six people we want to come up and, you know, here's your schedule. And I was like, what? <laughs> so we went up there, Kathleen and I went up there, BYU-Idaho, and we were on campus together. And I mean, there's a palpable spirit there. It's powerful. Mm. And so, you know, I spent, I think, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, did all the interviews. I did my teaching. We were flying home, and Kathleen says, you know, what do you think? What do you think? I said, you never know with these things, you know. And on Monday, I got the call, you know, "Would would you be willing to come up here? And I said, yes. And he said, it was Jim Keller, who was the chair or the dean. And he said, do you need to pray about it? I said, nope. Yeah, we've already we know. Yeah, we're supposed to be here, <laughs> and so technically I was there 18 years, but one year I was at the BYU Jerusalem Center. Yeah, I so I was there actually 17 years teaching. Right, and then right. BYU Jerusalem 2018, 2019. Correct, Jerusalem Center, yeah, phenomenal. Again, amazing experience. Yeah. That would be such a great fit for you with your oh, so because you are a Jewish convert to Jewish the church, convert right? to the church. Correct. Wow, yeah. that's incredible, Ross. Yeah. Uh, you've been here at BYU two months. How you like it so far? I've found it to be delightful. Uh, I love the students are amazing, engaging, wonderful. Um, I've been the the administration's been extremely gracious, very kind, from the president of the university, (laughs) right, to to the academic vice president Justin Collings, to our deanery Scott Esplin and Tyler and Gay, and to the faculty. Yeah, Yeah. wonderful people. That's one of the great. Great blessings of working here is you get to rub shoulders with some of the greatest people that we've ever met. As right? a side note, I, I taught Gay Strathern, who's associate Did dean you really? at Claremont. Oh, wow. She was one of my institute students. That's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. Ross, you've done a lot of things in the church, but I know you've been a bishop and a stake president, and I'm sure that uh, we'll draw from some of those experiences today uh, as, we, as we talk a little bit further. So here's some things that I was interested in. I saw on your bio that you swam across the San Francisco Bay for the Escape for Al- Alcatraz Triathlon. True. 
Could you imagine doing that today? You 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 were in stellar shape. Right, I was in point? stellar shape. Are you are you implying I'm not in stellar shape? Right I'm now? implying that both of us look like we've eaten a few cookies. No, today. wow. Okay. Do you, do you yeah. No, like? I would be. It would definitely. I think I would be, sink right to the bottom. Would, I don't know if I'd sink to the bottom, but it would be more difficult. <laughs> price is right. You're on the Price is Right. Want a stove, a mop, and a barrel sauna? That is true. Do you have any of those things still? Uh, no, but if anybody's super interested, there's a seven-minute clip of me doing that on YouTube. Okay. I can't wait to see it. There you That'll go. Be, it's pretty funny. Awesome. My goal was to say Bob as many times as I could. It was Bob Barker. Yes. And so anyway, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, one of the things I've learned about you, Ross, is you've been a great defender of the faith over the years. And I, you know, it, this idea of going on the History Channel to represent the church uh, and a radio show where callers could ask you any questions. That was, I think you did a fireside years ago that I attended and you shared those experiences and that was super cool. Anything to say about that? Anything to add about what that was like and what the, what the, maybe the, the outgrowth of those experiences were any, you know, any consequences kind of down the road in a positive way that, that took place? Yeah, those were just great opportunities where I believe the Lord opened the door for us, uh, the History Channel was incredible. The, the most important thing, I think, you know, if you've ever done anything like that, they film for like three hours, and it ended up being like a minute and a half clip. <laughs> wow! But yeah, but the cast, the crew, excuse me, the crew, yeah, between shots, they would get in a circle and ask me questions. Wow! They, the they, cameramen, the cameramen, the gaffers, yeah, all they were just incredibly interested uh, on the talk show that I did this was also amazing I mean lots of people listened because it was kind of like a lot of fireworks because I didn't know what people were going to ask right? right and so had some great interchanges there we also did some amazing um, what we called community firesides down in Southern California under the direction of our stake president um, where we had thousands of people come and the, the format was a talk and then a Q&A, and everyone yeah. stayed for the Q&A. And my point to my stake president was, I'll take any question in an open forum, theological, doctrinal, historical, doesn't matter, we'll go. Yeah. And it, it was an enormous draw. And what we found, while there was missionary work as a result, okay, right. what we actually found data-wise, it actually helped activity among those that were maybe on the border – in terms of the church. Does that make sense? The church members, yes. Church the members. Mar the marginal church members, yeah. Would go to it and would get so fired up that they would there, – there was an increase in activity. So, yeah, we did have some baptisms. There's no question missionary work was kind of fomented as a result. Sure. But the other side effect, which we never even foresaw, was these uh, people that came and were like, wow. The part of the fire – I mean, I remember a lot of this message that you shared, but the part that really – that I still remember was that I think you – tell me if the, if I'm, get, I'm getting this right, but you were driving to the stake center where the fireside was going to be, and there were cars lined up up and down the streets, and you were kind of thinking, I wonder what's going on. What is what is this for? Then you pull into the church and realize, okay, these people are here for the fireside, and they're, they're here 30 minutes early, and it's full. It was full. The first one we did – uh, was I believe we had fourteen hundred people. Yeah, there. Oh and you gosh. know, if you've ever done a community fireside, it's like a double state conference. Exactly. <laughs> so sometimes you do a community fireside, you think there might be you know twelve people, fifteen people. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, we've all had that. Right. And this, but but again, to the credit of the leadership of that, the Laverne Stake, they had done uh, huge outreach. Huge. Yeah. We invited the mayor, the city council. We personally invited every single priest you know, rabbi, everybody we had invited, and most of them showed up. Wow. Right? And That's so cool. it was pretty – and it was there was an intense kind of anti-thing going on at the time. So there was a lot of electricity kind of throughout this little area. And so here we were in an open forum, and away we went. Oh, it's so cool. And a lot of the things I have on your bio here just speak to that, right? Speaking at Christian colleges yep. and universities – uh, these firesides we talked about, even in a, you played in the U.S. Open chess tournament in 1991. True, Ross, you were you were the most interesting man in the world. I thought those <laughs> I thought those were good commercials, but you're if we did a commercial on you, that'd be super cool. Ross, one of the things I'm I'm most grateful for, although we don't know each other super well yet, we're getting to know each other. But you have had a great impact on my own children. Um, 
who've attended BYU-Idaho. I think four of our daughters had you for classes. Now one of our daughters here at BYU, but you have made a huge impact. And I know that there's thousands of parents out there that over the past 18 years would say the same thing. And so it's a great opportunity to say thank you so much for, for your impact on them. And they still talk about you. And these are now mothers with four and five children, you know, that still look back on those days with such fondness. So, Well, I'll just say something real quick about that. I am... I've shared with many people that one of my goals is to be the answer to a mom and dad's prayer. Mm. Wow. To literally, and I I take that seriously. I know that there's probably students in my class struggling a little bit, and there's a mom and dad or a grandma or grandpa, and they're fasting and praying that their child at BYU or BYU-Idaho or an SNI, Seminary Institute, would have a teacher who will light that fire. And so one of my prayers every single day is that I will be an answer to some mom and dad's prayer. Well, I know you have. So that's a great, uh, that's one of the great, uh, a great blessing for so many. Well, Ross, just tell us a little about, we're going to, you know, this is a podcast on preserving families. We want to talk about tools, principles, doctrines that can help strengthen and fortify families. And uh, you've got a great family. You've got, you've got nine children. And so just tell us a little bit about your family, anything you want to share about your kids, your your grandchildren, your life with your wife, with, with them, this great yeah. group? Yeah, I, I like to say maybe this about my marriage and my wife. Um, so the doctrine has influenced me tremendously and has helped me over the years. And yeah. and the doctrine that I love to focus on is this idea of the covenant relationship that President Nelson has recently been so articulate and clear about. And, and I share with uh, students in class, I'll say – my wife is absolutely number one. I go, she is preeminent. No other human being on earth rivals the, my wife, her status with me. Right. And I'll say, why do you guys think that is? And a lot of them will say, you love her because she's cute. And I'll say, that's all true. That's all true. But I said, it's the covenant. So I do love her. I do think she's cute, right. obviously. But the, the key is we've made a covenant with each other and with God. And that covenant binds us together in such a powerful, unique way. And then if we think about the commandments, she's the only person outside of God I'm commanded to love with all my heart. Right. She's the only person outside of God I'm commanded to cleave to and none else. She's the only person I'm commanded to be one flesh with. Nobody else. Her. Right. And the relationship between her, herself, Kathleen and I is transformative. Right, mm-hmm. So this is Paul's language in 1 Corinthians 11, neither can, is the man without the woman nor the woman without the man in the Lord, is that that relationship transforms both of us. And so we've had family nights where I've kind of shared this with my kids. Like, the mom's number one. And they'll say, well, what about us, dad? <laughs> and I'll go, Jacob says it this way in the Book of Mormon. Husbands love their wives, wives love their husbands, and husbands and wives love their children. And on every social scientific study, we know that when children see that relationship, they do better on every single metric. Right. Every single metric, they do better. And so I say, I don't want you guys to feel, you know, we do anything for you, obviously, but mom's number one for me. Mm. You guys need to know that. Number one. <laughs> and they've said stuff like, well, what if the house was on fire? I said, I'm getting mom first, guys. <laughs> They're like, what? Now, don't worry, we're, don't worry, we're going to come get you. But the point, you know, I'm making that point, right? That this is a super important point. And then that covenant relationship with my wife parallels the covenant relationship that Christ has with us. Mm-hmm. So that th- this is super important because people say, well, why do I have to join the church or why do I have to enter into covenant? When you enter that covenant voluntarily, now you are doing, there's a unique something now with God's relationship towards us and ours towards him. Right. Right. So now... We love him with all our heart, might, mind, and strength. We cleave unto him, right? He becomes one with us. So I always use the relationship with my wife and that kind of to talk about that, and they love that, and we talk, but then I parallel it instantly with the relationship with the Savior and us. I love it. That's so great. In fact, I, we, we think, I think a lot of us think this way, that in the next life in heaven, 
that here we're going to be with our, we, we visualize ourselves with our wives, our, our children in a cul-de-sac or whatever, not realizing that, no, they'll be with their spouses on Hopefully. their cul-de-sac. Absolutely. Now, I hope our cul-de-sacs touch. Of course. But, but they're going to, you know, that, that, that husband-wife relationship is, is key. And I'll tell you, Ross, really quickly that I remember our first move from Provo, BYU to Mesa, Arizona. And of course, you move into an apartment your first, you know, few months until you can figure out where you're going to live. Uh, but those apartments had tennis had tennis courts, and my father-in-law looked at me and he said, "Hey, make sure you guys go out there and play on those tennis courts." I said, "Okay." I mean, why? <laughs> I mean, I'm happy to do it, but but he said, "Hey, if you're not careful, you can become so busy with your children and so involved with them." that you lose your relationship with your wife, you know, and, and he was not alluding to anything, but I think what he was saying is we have eight children. We're really busy. And sometimes it's hard for us to connect. Make sure you stay connected because that's the prime, that's the prime relationship. I love that. Amen. And that goes back to, again, Jacob's mm-hmm. priorities. Husband loves their wives. Wives love their husbands. Husbands and wives love their children. Right. What a great, right. What a great guide. Yes. The, a- the other great guide that we took super serious, my wife and I, was Genesis 2.24. And the way I look at this, if I can frame it this way, a lot of people listening have been has a, have observed a ceiling. Right. And usually when you're in a ceiling, the sealer might give some counsel, right? I go, well, the first marriage is Adam and Eve. And in Genesis 2.24, that's Elohim giving counsel. Mm. And I say the best counsel you're going to get is from Elohim, right? So he gives three counsels. Number one, leave father and mother. Number two, cleave unto her and none else. And number three, be one flesh. And I go, so th- that those three bits of counsel have guided, directed, and helped us in our marriage to become like a Zion marriage, a celestial quality marriage. We always talk about the eternity aspect. That's time. But we want the quality to be celestial as well. Right. And it doesn't have to wait for the next life. Right? That can so you, happen right It here, can happen right? right now. But you've got to take the counsel seriously. President Kimball said, better live in a tent than with your in-laws. <laughs> now, there, there might be some hyperbole there, <laughs> but I think the point is, is well taken, right? So you had to live in an apartment. We all did. Yeah. Right? I mean, and so you go through that and you work things out and you have to figure it out and you budget and you cry and you do all those things. That's part of it. Right. That's part of it. And so I love that idea that that counsel from the father to Adam and Eve in the garden, that first mortal married couple. Yeah. And I love your insight. What a great thought that a celestial marriage isn't really describing a time frame. It's describing the quality. And it's a marriage like God's marriage. And and it doesn't have to. Again, I think we think, oh, yeah, well, that's the next life. But yeah. I think you can, and again, I, I don't want anybody listening to think that I have some kind of perfect marriage. Uh, you know, I've said sorry <laughs> a billion times, um, right? I, so Me I don't want to, uh, but, but there, there, you get these beautiful moments, these beautiful feelings of you have a celestial thing going on right now. Yeah. Right Amen. this moment. So great. Yeah. So Ross, uh, are you much different as a grandfather than you were as a father? What are some of the differences that you've noticed in yourself? Well, I'll tell you, we have two little girls still at home. Okay. So my oldest son is 40. Yeah. And my youngest daughter is seven. That's a span. That's a span. (laughs) And I will tell you that my wife and I are different parents with the two little girls that we have at home than we were with our first. I think, um, you know, this is Elder Hale's comment to Elder Bednar when he got older and couldn't do many things. Yes. And I don't know if you remember, it goes mm-hmm. something like, when you can't think, do the things you've always done, you do the things that are most important. Yes. And I think that uh, with our two girls, we're pretty focused on doing that, which is most important with them, spending time. You know, we, we, we spend time with them, and they, they one of our prayers is that they'll feel loved, cherished, valued, and protected. And, you know, so so I think I'm better. Yeah. And I'm way more Section 121. Yeah. Way, in which way? Uh, that in terms of 
No power or influence can or ought to be maintained by virtue of the priesthood, only by. And then he lists the things which are persuasion, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, pure knowledge, right? Yes. And I think I'm, I'm better. I'm a yeah. better person. I'm a better – I'm way more like that than maybe I was as a 22-year-old fresh father. Yeah. You know, and, and, and hopefully over time we acquire these Christ-like traits and uh, we're more patient and kind and loving. And uh, I've even surprised myself every now and then with some of those, you know, as some of those qualities emerge just a little. And, and I would just say this, that any, again, anybody listening, I think Section 121, I mean, if you push me on it, I think it's this greatest single written document anywhere Wow. on leadership and on being a good father and a good mother. Yeah. Anywhere. That's how bold I am on it. And I think it's making a couple of powerful, one metaphysical statement that you can't maintain influence if you violate those principles. And then a moral statement, you ought not to. Yeah. So if I want to maintain influence with anyone, including my children or my wife, right, then if I violate those principles, I risk not having any influence. But at the end of section 121, the promise is, Without compulsory means, it shall flow into you forever and ever. We're not for, there's no force. Yeah. There's no compulsion. It flows naturally, right, because you didn't violate those principles. Oh, I love that. Now, yeah. somebody might be thinking, well, but like, you know, they got to get the, their, their room cleaned. You know, you got to force them to get the room cleaned. And I think as I've gotten older, listen, I, I mean, you got to work with them. You got to be patient, Right. But if you force too many times and use that lever, you will start to diminish and lose your influence. Because your relationship deteriorates, doesn't it, so exactly quickly? Right. Exactly. And now, now there's the, no relationship, no influence. It's Correct. real simple, right? Exactly. Ross, let's talk about agency for a minute. I'm, in, I'm, I'm very interested in that topic, and I know you are, and you've said some things about it that I've really admired. So let's just talk about how you know this doctrine of agency and how it applies in the family, particularly to to parenting. Yeah. So I think some people have uh, parents, and I've had this myself, a miss, maybe under a misunderstanding about agency. Right. And we have to figure it out. And so you have some people who think, well, you know, Johnny's upstairs smoking marijuana because he has his agency. (laughs) And I think that's an incorrect (laughs) view of what agency is. He might have his freedom to smoke marijuana, but that's not what agency is. Right. Um, so agency includes freedom. It's a necessary condition for it. It's just not sufficient. Right. And so agency includes accountability and consequences. And consequences. And consequences. Right. So, so I I'm allowed to as a parent, right, to have consequences. And in fact, the Book of Mormon is so clear that if there is no punishment, there is no law. Yeah. And I don't, you know, when we hear the word punishment, maybe some people react inappropriately to that. But you could just say, if there's no consequences, there is no law, right? And we all know that. Like, (laughs) everyone knows that. Right. That is a very intuitive concept, so clearly articulated in the Book of Mormon. And so I think you have to figure that out. You have to be discerning as a parent or as a husband or a wife or in any relationship on how you're going to carry that out, right? And in what manner you're carrying it out. But if you don't carry it out... You're sending the false message. Yeah. Right? You're sending a false. So Elder Bednar used to teach Teaching of the Living Prophets at BYU-Idaho when he was the president before he was a member of the Quorum of the Twelve. And he pretty strict. You can imagine Elder Bednar was pretty strict. And and so he accepted no late work. Yeah. So if somebody came into the class <laughs> a minute late and then put their paper on the desk, he would say, no, I won't accept that. Yeah. And one student pushed back and said, well, you know, what about mercy? Elder Bednar or President Bednar at the yeah. time. And he said, I would be teaching you incorrectly about mercy if I accepted that paper. Wow. <laughs> That's classic Elder Bednar, isn't classic it? Classic Elder Bednar, right? you bet. And so I would be teaching, and if you think about it, he's 100% correct. Right. Right. Because that's not how the atonement of Christ works. And even when I was a stake president, I'm sure you might deal with this too, 
So I was a stake president of a young single adult stake, a student stake. Right. So I didn't have any married couples. So we have different issues going on, right? Right. Um, and so, for example, I sent out over 500 missionaries. That's incredible. I wow. I probably, we, we couldn't completely calculate it. I probably interviewed. So every April, July, and December. Those are the big months, yeah. I would interview between 50 and 150 couples to be sealed. Wow. Right. Okay. So <laughs> wedding season. Wedding seasons, right? <laughs> and and so I'm telling you all this because what happens is even priesthood leaders, even bishops, even moms and dads, th- sometimes what they want to do is eradicate a rule or a commandment so that Johnny can serve a mission yeah. or so that Johnny can get married. And I would always tell them, the bishops included, you're not doing anybody any service if you don't follow the Savior. Right. Right? So the Savior saying, he's the one who laid these things out. And we can do it with love, and we can do it with kindness, and we're going to do it appropriately. But to remove all consequences doesn't help anyone. doesn't bless their life. In any way. In yeah. any way. I go, you're not doing them a service. So as you know, like, and, and if anybody listening doesn't perhaps understand, to go to the temple, you need both the bishop's signature and the stake president's signature. Right. And sometimes the bishop would think that once they signed it, the stake president's signature is a rubber stamp. Mm-hmm. But there were times where I was like, no. Yeah. No. Not and gonna not going to work here. And it's not that we're never going to work. That's yeah. not the point. It's we're going to – this is out of love. So mm-hmm. God's laws are a perfect expression of his love. Yes. His laws are a perfect expression of his love, right? And so we're not so maybe we're not getting married Friday. You thought you were getting sealed on Friday, but it's going to be maybe 3 weeks or a month yeah. or 6 months. Right. But this will bless your life forever. Right? Cuz we can we cannot we cannot we're not doing anybody's service. If we don't let By the way, the scriptures talk about I love this phrase. Bring forth fruit meat for repentance. Mm. First of all, meat means suitable for, right? But the analogy is fruit. Yeah. And so I would tell people, you can't rush fruit. You can't. (laughs) There's nothing you can do. You can't rush fruit. So it's not that it's bad fruit. We're not like bad fruit. You're a bad. No. We're just saying the repentance process is likened to fruit maturing. Yes. So I can't shortcut it. And so if I shortcut the process, I'm actually doing you a disservice because that fruit isn't ripe, mm. right? It's pulling the chicken out of the egg. Too, too fast. To help, to help. Yeah, let's Can't just do get it. that little chick out of Can't there. Can't do it. So, so that's some amazing learning experiences and amazing, powerful things about agency and what that means. Now, another one I think I shared with you earlier was – People, I think, realize listening that they're to be at BYU Idaho or be at BYU Provo, you have to be endorsed. Mm-hmm. And what that means is an ecclesiastical leader, and there's certain processes that are going into that go into play to allow someone to be a student at the the church university. Right. And one of the criteria, for example, at BYU Idaho was you had to attend church, mm. church school. Right. Got to attend church. Yes. Well, so a bishop called me and says his student, this particular student, uh, she never attended one single sacrament meeting, not once during the semester. And she was up for endorsement, didn't know what to do. Would I speak with her? So I said, of course. And so super nice young lady. And we had a chat. And she said, yeah, I haven't attended any. And I said, why? And she says, well, I have some anxiety and depression. And I said, okay. So have you attended class? Uh-huh. Yes. Every day. I've I've attended all my classes. (laughs) I said, so you couldn't attend like one, two sacrament meetings? No. And then we went through 2 Nephi 2 and the idea of being acted upon versus acting. Yeah. And I basically used the analogy that Christ is the ultimate kind of in terms of the sphere of freedom of acting. And that a soda can, I use this example, or a rock is acted upon. Mm-hmm. And I asked this young lady, I said, are you a soda can? Now, you're, none of us are Jesus yet, but are you a soda can? And she says, no, I'm not a soda can. And I said, okay, so where are you on the spectrum between soda can and the Savior? Yeah. And she kind of said, well, I don't know, about right here, pointing to about a quarter of the way along. Yeah. And I said, so would that allow you to attend church? <laughs> and she said... <laughs> Yes. I said, okay. I said, so what we're going to do, and then we, we created some consequences that would help her and bless her life. Yeah. And she eventually did very well and came back to BYU. 
but I couldn't endorse her for the next semester. Yeah. yeah. That wasn't going to happen. Right. So there needed we to need be some more, more courageous leaders like that. That's exactly right. Well, yeah. and she needed to, the the fruit had to mature. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. And I was completely. trying to tell her, listen, I said to her, we love you. I want you back. Mm-hmm. I want you back. But I want you to think about this, and this is the way it's got to be. And so she was like, okay. Yeah. I think that's such a great a great uh, example of what happens on, let's say, a kind of a general church level. Uh, because, yes, I see it in my present calling with bishops and, and with parents. You know, we, we spent last night in the bishop's training meeting going back to President Monson's original wording of the 2011 announcement of missionary age change mm. and that and that it's an option. You don't have to go when you're you're not you're you're, you're 18. It's just an option. But the bishops kind of uh, let us know last night that yeah, we get it, but it's the parents that are pushing 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 and their kids may not be ready and it's this fear that we live in, right? We live in this fear that we'll use your example, Johnny. We'll just say Johnny. <laughs> But the Johnny's not going to go if he doesn't go when he's 18, you know. And, and so, once again, you have this. I want to transition this into parenting just for a minute, uh, more specifically, Ross, um, because I've seen some of the same examples that you've seen. Uh, in fact, I remember years ago serving in the same capacity you did as a, as a you know, you're the institute director, but you supervise seminary. And I, I loved, I had the opportunity to teach several of my children in seminary be, by being the CES coordinator or whatever, and I loved it. But I told this man, I saw that he had three of his children on the roll for his class, because in this particular class, they taught freshman through senior, you know. And I said, how cool is that? You get to teach your own kids. And he said, well, actually, none of our kids go to church or seminary. But then he, he gave the, the caveat, right, that, Oh, but that's because we believe in agency. And I remember, you know, just listening to that, but I, and I didn't want to say anything to him and be inappropriate, but I just drove home thinking that's not, that's not what agency is, right? It's just, once again, pure freedom. Because I know that in our family, and I'm not sure how we would handle it, but we've never had to, but if, but if there was a child who didn't want to attend church, there probably would be a consequence for that in some way, Right. Uh, luckily, we didn't have to deal with that, but I know some some families do, and I'm not saying that I have the answer to that. But what would you do, Ross, if you were in that situation and and you did have a child that said, "You know what, Mom and Dad, I'm kind of done with church. I'm 14 and I'm just done." Yeah. So, go? so we it's bizarre, but we didn't have the problem either. Yeah. <clears throat> but I will tell you this: um, I I told my children that if they didn't want to go to church or if they didn't want to go to Sunday school that I would have it with them yeah, and that I was serious and that this would be serious. And we like, so while you're in my home, if you're saying you don't want to go to church, okay, you're going to have church. It's going to be with me. Yeah. So it's not like you're getting a pass. (laughs) So don't think you're getting like, you're going to sleep in and you're going to just watch television and eat (laughs) ding-dongs. No, no, we're going to have church and we're going to have Sunday school too. Yeah. Um, and no one took me up on it. Yeah, you, you see what I'm saying? Like oh, I yeah. said, and in it's fact, it's more fun to be at the church with our friends than hanging out with dad. Hanging out with dad in his study, and getting worked over in a on suit, the Old Testament yeah. in a suit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said we're going to have church, <laughs> and so none of them, none of them took me up on it. And and it's to my kids' credit, the truth is, all of them, you know. And we try to make it fun, and we try to make the gospel fun, and and we want to have that experience where we're having joy. Yeah. Right. Um, but and we want to listen to their concerns, but. I, I'm with you. There would have been consequences, right? And, right? and there had to have been, we would have imposed that. And they knew I was serious. And I said, for example, if your Sunday school teacher tells you, like, you're acting up or she can't control you, you and I will have Sunday school. Yeah. And I'm gonna, I said, I'm going to tell you, you're going to way rather have it with your friends in Sunday school than with me. Yeah. And they knew that was true, by the way. They knew that was <laughs> they true. They knew it was true. Yeah. Now, I'll tell you another interesting story. This isn't a parenting one, but it was seminary. And so my, my whole theory was um, I used to have this David O. McKay quote I would put in seminary. Now, those that don't know what seminary is, this is like six in the morning with a bunch of teenagers right. studying the Bible or the <laughs> Book of Mormon, right? And there's 40 of them there. And there's like between 30 and 40 there. It's, it's, a, it's incredible. Yeah. And it's almost, almost, depending on where you live, a volunteer thing. Right. So, so I had behind me a quote from David O. McKay that said, what you think of Christ 
will determine what your actions will be. Mm-hmm. And I used to talk all through my seminary, and this is like 15-year-olds, and I used mm-hmm. to say, people rise to the level of your expectations, and my expectations are the following. I'm going to come to class engaged, in, excited, enthusiastic, prepared, and I'm yeah. going to bring it every class. Yeah. You've got to come to class on time, prepared, engaged. Yeah. Now, what they will always do – have you ever had cows? No. Well, I, my family has had cows. Okay. If you have cows, cows – if you put a cow in a pasture, the cow will find – will try to find where every fence is. Uh-huh. And once they know where every fence is, they actually – their blood pressure goes down and they do better. Wow. But they will go <laughs> until they find the fence. Okay. They'll push. Yeah. And they are mischievous and they will figure stuff out. Okay? <laughs> so seminary students, I think, want to find out, are you, are you legit? Where's the fence? Is yeah. this tr- where's the fence? Yeah. Right? And so um, first – now, some seminary teachers, and I coordinated for a long time, 12 years – They'll be like, I'm going to be the happy seminary teacher. My students are going to get donuts every day. It's going to be so fun. And you know what happens to attendance in those classes? They go down. Yeah. But the teacher who's actually teaching the gospel and feeding them spiritually, attendance stays the same or goes up. Yeah. Super interesting. Right. Because you don't want to get up. It's after a while. You don't want to get up that early to go to a place to eat donuts and not learn anything. Yeah. That makes sense? Mm-hmm. Right? So. I'm teaching this class. I've got all these 15-year-olds, and I kicked a kid out. Mm-hmm. I kicked a kid out. I said, you're out. He's like, what? Get your backpack. Get out of this class. I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. So he leaves. So his mom calls me. Of and, course, right? <laughs> and she called me like about an hour after class. Yeah. Now, I had already planned, so everybody doesn't think I'm the ogre of the world. Yeah. I had already planned that I was going to call him and even go over there Yeah. to show forth love. Right. And to make sure that he knew that I wanted him back. Don't everyone, I 100% agree with that. But the mom says to me, Jesus would never kick a child out of seminary. And I said, a little honorary, he would have kicked your kid out of seminary. <laughs> <laughs> she did not laugh. I wish she would have. Yeah, she would. <laughs> but my point was, yeah, Jesus would kick kids out of seminary, right? Yeah. Now, would he love him back? I think he would. Sure. And, and by the way, this young man who I kicked out of seminary, Came back. Mm. We're friends to this day. Yeah. This was gazillion years ago. Sure. Um, and I've taught his kids, uh-huh. right? And so at BYU Idaho, by the way. Yeah. Um, do you know my dad? You know, it's like, yeah, I know your dad. <laughs> well, Let me tell yeah. you some stories. And, and I know your grandma. Uh, exactly. <laughs> your grandma. We had an interesting con- phone conversation. So my point, though, is that that all is within agency. Yeah. And that blesses lives. Yeah. Now we got to do it right. Yeah. We've got to do it right. Now, but agency isn't just imposing consequences. Back to section 121, it's showing forth an increase of love toward him whom thou hast reproved, yeah. right? So if you do one without the other, you're imbalanced, yeah. right? And, and one of the things I tell students is Christ meets everyone where they are with love yeah. and then invites them to go higher. Mm-hmm. But he never leaves anybody where they are. That's right. But he will invite you to go higher. And so that's, again, agency. Why? Because the law is the expression of love so that you can receive the fullness of what the Father has. Yeah. Right? So Jesus would not be loving you if he didn't require you to do those things. That wouldn't be love. Right. That would not be love. Love is wanting what is absolutely best for another human being. Yeah. And God, who perfectly knows, is perfectly loving and he requires that we keep his commandments. My colleague, Rob Eaton, says that God's love language, remember the love languages? Oh, yeah. God's love language is, if you keep my commandments, you love me. Right? Amen. Yeah. So God's love language is that we keep his commandments. Yeah. I love that. That's great stuff. Oh, Ross, that's so good. One of the, one of the things I think about, Ross, a lot when it comes to agency is that parents forget sometimes that they have agency, too. I see that all the time. Oh my God! You know, back to our idea of, of some uh, a child who doesn't want to go to church, you know, uh, or whatever the example is. But parents, you you have agency. Um, so so I, and I think there's 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 some great empowerment that comes from that as a parent. To, I always felt that way that yeah, you do have your agency, but but guess what? So do I. Um, and then the other part for me is just the idea that. Often, sometimes I don't like the word consequence, and maybe I should use another word, but 
so many of the consequences that that can come forth in, in a relationship with a parent-child are positive. Yes. You know, I remember one time one of my colleagues at Utah State, when I was uh, there at the, the institute there, told me the great story of his son asking him, his teenage son asking him if he could do something that was, it was quite a stretch. It was like to travel from Logan to Salt Lake, stay overnight somewhere, um, camp somewhere with some people they didn't know. But he said, son, let's see, you are, you go to seminary every morning, uh, you're an Eagle Scout, you make straight A's. I think that'd be great for you to, to, I can totally trust you, he said. Any thoughts on this idea, uh, Ross, though, of, uh, of the parents have agency too and that they can be empowered? Yeah, I love, I love the concept of parents have agency because I think you're right. Some parents think they that somehow don't. They're almost handcuffed. They're handcuffed <laughs> and they do. And your example of this young person going to this concert, my, stu- my children, um, especially my third son, Eric, he jokes all the time. He said, I hated your one diagram that you always did. <laughs> now, this comes from an old seminary video. Yeah. The second Nephi 2 video with the twins. Yes. And I used to draw this diagram where I would write agency, and then I'd write a line kind of going up that said right choices, and then a line followed freedom. Yeah. And then below that, wrong choices, captivity. Yeah. He used to call it the tuning fork yeah. diagram. Yeah. And he goes, I hated that diagram. But it's true. It's Second Nephi two twenty seven. Exactly. Right? You're just Liberty mapping and it out. Exactly. It's just mapping it out. And and so I used to say the same exact thing. You know, yeah. I want to do this, or I want to do that, or I want to drive the car, or I want to go on this date. And it would just okay, great. You, yeah. you, I can trust you. You have that freedom now as a result of the proper use of your agency. Right. But if you're not, sorry, no, yeah. that's not happening. Can't, can't go there. And I think, in addition, if I can say this, I'd like to get your thoughts about this. Uh, I think that some parents, this is going to sound strange, are afraid of their children, afraid of their teenage children, that we can't impose, again, whatever word we want to use, consequences, because somehow now they're going to rebel or they're going to leave or something like that. Uh, and, and I've found that to be very like prevalent. Yes, that parents don't want to do that because they're like, oh, no, 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 that will, Johnny will go, you know, join whatever. Yeah. Right? And I'm just like, hmm. I, I see it, Ross, all the time as well. I think I think it's it's a, it's a challenge today. We call it permissive parenting uh, and, and, you know, high on, high on relationship but low on demand. Mm. So now we have parents that are best friends with their children, which I think there's there's great value in being great friends with your kids. But you've lost the ability to influence and teach. I, this reminds me, as you say that, of a family that I knew years ago, where remember, okay, so we'll use home teaching, you know, for the example. But as the mother talked about her out of control teenage son that she did not know what to do with, and her husband was out of town all the time, her home teacher, a good farmer from Idaho, said, "I'll tell you what your kid needs. You know, he needs to be punished. He needs some consequences." And this mother said, oh, no, I could never do that. That would just make him mad. All right, now now the monkeys are running the zoo, right? And so, yeah, this the, the joke of permissive parenting, in my mind, is that in the long run, kind of how you talked about agency a minute ago, but in the long run, those parents grow up, or sorry, those children grow up, and they don't even respect their parents. Here the parents were giving them everything, and now in the long run, these kid, these kids now are adults, and they don't even talk to their parents. They don't. They don't respect their parents who just let them get away with anything in the name of, oh, we're going to have this great relationship. I'm kind of afraid of you. I don't want to upset you. And like you said, Ross, a minute ago, in the end, it does absolutely no good. In fact, it ruins people is what it does. Right. So one of the things that I think is critical to talk about, and I think this is an interesting doctrinal point and a, another phenomenal contribution from the Book of Mormon, and that is, I'll say it this way. Christ is the guarantor that our choices matter. Hmm. And what I mean by that is that your choices, for you to actually have agency, you have to have different outcomes for your choices. If Hmm. everyone has the same outcome, there's no agency. Yeah. That's not agency. Right. Okay, so Christ guaranteed that for our choices, we get different outcomes. If you read 2 Nephi 9, Jacob does this thought experiment that if there was no atonement, what would the end be? We would all be with Satan. It would be one outcome. 
one. So yeah. whether you were Mother Teresa or <laughs> Hitler, you would end up with the same outcome. same outcome. But what Jesus's atonement did is it guaranteed that choices matter so that if I choose faith in Christ and repentance and ordinances, the doctrine of Christ, that will matter in now and in the end. And if I don't, it will matter now and in the end as well. And I think we got to remember that with children. If they can do anything and the outcome is the same, that's not God's plan. Mm, amen. That is not God's plan. You have to have different outcomes for different choices or you've actually, and this is harsh, that is Satan's plan. That is I, Satan's plan. I say plan. amen to that so much. That's so... In fact, when I told some parents one time in a counseling session, they had a son that was just out of control. I mean, sexually active, doing drugs, stealing from people. Um, and I told them what I thought they needed to do, and they didn't like it. And I said, look, let me just talk to you this way. If your, if your son was my son, here's what would happen. Number one, his cell phone would be gone. Number two, his car keys would be gone. He would be taken off our insurance. And he's just going to hang out with me and mom for a while. He's not going to be going anywhere for quite a long time. And, and that's kind of where we would start. And this dad looked at me and he said, you know what I think? I said, what? He goes, I think that's Satan's plan. <laughs> and I said, no, 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 no. I think you have it. I think your plan is more satanic than mine. Because with mine, there's consequences. And we're going to help that kid get back on the straight and narrow path. But if there's never any consequences, he's not going to change. And, and now here we are you know, 10 years removed from that, and that young man is still an adult now and in deep, deep trouble. You know? One of the um, one of the sad, the hardest things, maybe the saddest and hardest thing to do as a parent is to let people go through those things. Let your yeah. children have hard times. It's super yeah. hard. I admit it. I mean, it's it's so... And, and how to discern exactly what and where to do, you have to be led by the Spirit. Yeah. But we had a, f a, a f semi-funny, I'll, I'll kind of keep it semi-vague <laughs> so that I'm not in trouble with my family and wife, but I had a, a child that uh, they got pulled over and the car got impounded. And so this child called me and said, Dad, the car got impounded. What do I do? And I said, why did the car? I didn't register the car. Mm. I said, well, then that policeman actually doesn't have much of a choice. Yeah. Like, that's the law. Yeah. He doesn't know if you, he, like, he, you're lucky you're not going to jail, right? <laughs> he goes, but I'm stranded. And I said, well, you know, where are you? It was a safe place. And I said, okay. Well, the car's got impounded. I said, yep. Well, what are we going to do? Mm, what are you going to do? Yeah. Well, and I said, what you did is you took a $60 problem, because that's about what it would have been to register this particular car, right. and about 40 minutes of your time, and you've turned it into a $600 problem and about three days. <laughs> now, yes. he says, so what are we going to do? And I said, well, you're going to pay the $600, and whatever time it takes, that's what you're going to do to get your car back. Yeah. Now, yeah. I did not bail him out of it. Right. Now, again, my wife and I talked at length, you know, is he safe? And he was. Right. But it had to just be what yeah. it had to be. And I have no doubt, Ross, that you and your wife during that time period were kind and loving and Christ-like and you preserved, you had the relationship uh, with that child, you know, so that's all in place. I think parents fear that it's either, you know, the consequences and the hard, and the hard stuff or it's the happy, happy fun stuff. And they don't realize that you can have it all at the same time, but they're, and you know what? Now your now your child learns the hard way, and this is this is a great lesson, right, for all of us. But now your child learns the hard way, and I promise you, I mean, I know for myself, when I got that first you know speeding ticket as a teenager and had to pay it out of my own pocket, that was the last time I got a speeding ticket, and that was forty something years ago. Amen. Right? And uh, I didn't have parents saying, hey, oh, don't worry, we'll, we'll pay that for you. It was just, that was just how it was. But you listening to that story I just told, or anybody listening to that story I just told, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, there is a part of you that's like, ooh, you know, yeah. but we didn't bail them out. Yeah. And they learned the, they learned the lesson, yep. right? The lesson was learned. That's an interesting I told a, I told a daughter once in our family, she called me at midnight to come pick her and her friends up from a movie theater. Or at 11.30, whatever it was. And uh, she said, uh, so you're going to come get us, right? And I said, um, I don't know. And I just hung up. And uh, she calls right back immediately. Dad, wait, Dad, what, I think we got disconnected. What what happened? 
and uh, I said, "What?" And she said, "Are you are you aren't you going to come pick us up?" And I go, "I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm kind of thinking about it. Uh, let me call you back a little bit later and shut it off. Shut the phone down again." Now I'm kind of having fun here doing this, right? I'm smiling the whole time, but I wanted to make a point. And then she calls one more time and says, "What is going on?" And I go, and I said, I'm trying not to say my child's name, but I said, you know what I've decided? I'm going to mind you the same way that you mind us. And right now you're not minding us really well. This is kind of what it looks like. We asked you 12 times to do something and you're not doing it. And so I think we should just have this deal that the way that you mind us is how we should mind you. Anyway, great lesson. I didn't, we didn't have to go any further than that. She came home, we talked, she got the point. But once again, parents have agency too. Well, Ross, on our podcast, we we like to say we use it. We borrow a phrase from Brent Barlow, who once said that LDS could could mean let's do something. And so, if we said, okay, let's do something, is there an invitation that you could give to parents today that would something easy, right? That they could probably knock out of the park, but something that would help them to do something based on some of the thoughts and ideas that you've shared today. Hmm. Uh, part of what I would say would be. If, if you focus on the doctrine of Christ, if you focus on what – I've said a couple times today that the contributions of the Book of Mormon are powerful in yeah. terms of agency, I think of parenting. And so if you focus on that Christ is the guarantor that we have different outcomes for our choices and we're trying to be like Christ, then this plays into your point of I have agency too. Yes. So I want to be like the Savior as a parent. Right. And so I need to know what that means. And so one of my let's do some things would be it's a great opportunity to take the Book of Mormon, take a fr- inexpensive copy of the Book of Mormon, not marked up, start in First Nephi 1, go to Moroni 10, and look at it for how to be a better parent. Yeah. What a great idea. Just how to be a better parent. I and you're going to get – and by the way, just know this. What's going to happen if you take that seriously is that it'll transcend what's on the page. Right. You'll get direction from our Heavenly Father through the Holy Ghost on different things that you can do. And then if I can just tie that into President Nelson's last general conference talk, Think Celestial. Or in other words, he <laughs> interpreted that as begin with the end in mind. Yes. Right? That, that our goal is the celestial kingdom, and so that's going to guide my behavior now. My actions, my thoughts, my words, my deeds today are guided by the ultimate end, mm. and that's thinking celestial. So as a parent, I want to think celestial. I don't want to buy into satisfying my 15-year-old's dumb – you know what I mean? Like, I don't mean to say 15-year-old's – well, they are <laughs> dumb, but – I love them, and I've taught them, and I, I do love them. But I would simply say, let's not let the tail wag the dog. Right. Right. Um, their prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed. <laughs> These are people that don't know what's going on. And so we need to follow the Savior, again, with love and kindness. And if that relationship's there intact, then – and I'm a big believer. And by the way, this you asked me earlier. Here's something. Something I'm, I'm doing better now is I am trying to make sure that the love and the hugs will always continue. Yeah, no matter Um, what. Yeah, no matter what. And I think with some of my teenage sons, there was some periods of time where we weren't connected that way because of some of the tension in the home. Sure. And I'd do that differently. Yeah, yeah. I'd have to do that differently. I wasn't doing that right. That was my bad. Yeah. And so with the two girls that are still at home – you know, we we try to make it a thing that this is who we are. We love each other. We hug each. Not doesn't matter what's going on in the home. We're going to do that. But let's go. Okay, so let's do something. To me, yeah. Start in First Nephi one. Go to Moroni ten. You're not looking for anything else but how to be a better parent. If you do that seriously, you'll get all kinds of answers. Revelation will flow. I I I love that and I agree with it. I and I would say this. You know, I I know that as we talk, uh, as we've as as we've talked today that. A lot of parents who may listen to this may feel that, wow, those two guys are pretty harsh. They're, they're, they're pretty tough. I want to emphasize how powerful that love has been in our ministry, so to speak, with our own children. And I, you know, my invitation is going to be along the lines of, okay, start with this. Start with building a relationship first if you feel like you don't have that. But I remember years ago... Uh, a daughter who just was having a hard time with some of the standards in the for strength of youth that we felt strongly about with dating. 
and it just got to the point where we just had to reel her in for a while and just say stop we're done and for you know for one whole month she just hung out with us you know she didn't go anywhere didn't go with friends didn't go on dates didn't do anything lost her phone you know and I shared that story with someone and they said how could you do that she said if I did that my kids would hate us you know and I said I can't I can't say anything about your kids I don't know your kids and I don't know the culture in your home but in our home where we have a great relationship with our children every day was spent up in that daughter's room with her both my wife and I talking hugging scratching her back because she's our touchy kid you know but also reading for the strength of youth and sharing our our testimonies about it going out to eat together and talking the relationship was there and the you know Ross as you kind of gave me the head nod a little while ago the if there is no relationship there's nothing it's zero now you have no ability to teach you have no ability to influence it's over and so that has to be the foundational piece to kind of everything that we've talked about today and we, we want to make sure that for those listening, they understand that. Well, everyone, thank you so much uh, for being with us today. Ross, thank you so much for coming by and, and sharing your thoughts uh, with us on, on this great concept of agency and parenting. And we hope to see you all next time. Have a wonderful, awesome week.